Welcome back to Queer and Art Podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Kraft. My next guest is the brilliant, beautiful, funny, all the words, Clark Moore. You can find him in the movie Love, Simon that just came out on Blu-ray, DVD, anywhere you can watch it. And I really hope you do. We talk a lot about it in this podcast as well as just important topics surrounding his involvement in the film, what the meaning of the film is to this large community and kind of his influence surrounding the film. Before it begins, I just want to say happy Pride Month to whoever is listening. Let's not forget how Pride started. I mean, first there were the secret communities, Mattachine Society. Then in the summer of 1969, on the day that Judy Garland passed away, there was the Stonewall Riots that was led by Marsha P. Johnson. And Marsha P. Johnson is a trans woman of color who I hope you've heard of, but if you don't, then I really encourage you to find out more information about her because she's a pioneer, a legend, and we owe so much of what we have today to her. Let's just take a moment and think about how lucky we are today. I hope that, you know, when we're all out of the bars or, you know, sitting around a table with friends that we can look around in gratitude. I get emotional about it just because I... I feel really grateful all the time about this. And I hope that everyone can just take take a moment during your pride festivities and celebrations to think about all of those who've come before us. Maybe read a book about the fight. Maybe watch a movie. Maybe write a poem. Maybe just sit in thought for five minutes. Uh, that energy is important and it goes somewhere. So... Without further ado, happy Pride. I love you all. You are loved. Let's have fun. sitting here in my apartment with the incredibly talented and um, new friend of mine that I'm so excited to have here today, Mr. Clark Moore. Hi. Hey, sis. Hey, sis. (laughs) Um, So thank you for doing this with me and coming out here. Um, Some of you listening will probably know him from Love, Simon. Congrats on Love, Simon. Thank you. Yeah, I hope they know me from it. Otherwise, they haven't seen it. In which case, go see it. (laughs) Go see it. It just came out on, like, Blu-ray and And digital digital. and Prime Now and iTunes and Download Now. Please swipe up to subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Thumbs up, rate us, comment. Um, Yeah, so I really want to, of course, talk about Love, Simon and just kind of everything. But first... I need to get to know you because we've only kind of like hung out like in parties or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so <laughs> yeah, I know. Look at in parties, you know, in a cocktail bar. <laughs> um, but I 
am, I've heard a lot about you through friends and stuff, and I'm excited to chat with you today. So let's get to it. Clark, where are you from? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, down south. Uh, which is actually where we filmed the movie as well. So I grew up there, um, this sort of like Southern belle, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And my mom is from the Midwest. My parents are actually both from the Midwest. My mom's from St. Louis. My dad's from originally North Carolina, but then Michigan. And so I sort of have this amalgamation of Midwestern and Southern values, Mm -hmm. you know? And then, uh, do you want me to do the whole timeline? Give me, yeah, just go for it. After Atlanta, I sort of like, you know, high school, all of that stuff. Went to Dartmouth in New Hampshire. She's smart. She's smart. (laughs) Uh, And then, where I studied history Uh and art history. And then sort of like, yeah, found my way out to LA and I've been here for uh, five years this summer. Okay, so... Did you always know you were an actor? Is that something you, yeah? Yeah. Uh, it's been an affliction since I was seven. Yeah, I uh, went to summer camp. My uh, cousin was like, send him away to this summer camp. My parents will get a break from me for mm-hmm. a week, you know, sleep away. And it was a performing arts camp. And, you know, we did, like, mime and clowning, you know, like we did all of those, everything that you, they say you do in conservatory like or grad. in the movie camp. Exactly. Just like it. Yeah. And I thought I was like, I look back on the, that time and there was like a talent show and everything. I was wearing like basketball shorts and a t-shirt mm. in my cabaret performance, you know, singing lucky, you know, <laughs> to a track, like not even. Britney Spears lucky. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad that you caught that. Of course. Yeah. Um, this is a story yeah. about a girl named Lucky. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and I just remember being on stage singing that with Britney Spears in the background, you know, it wasn't even an instrumental. It was like singing it with her. That's fine. And thinking like, this is it, (laughs) you know, all eyes were on me and everyone was just sort of obsessed. In that moment, I had their attention for, Mm -hmm. I could take them on this journey for two and a half minutes or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. And then the summer camp had this thing where, called monologue night, where everyone would put together a monologue and uh, they invited local casting directors and agents and managers. And so I was seven, and I did a monologue about, like, video games or something that I found in a monologue book. Love those monologues. Yeah, it was, like, something about my mom won't let me play my Nintendo 64 or something like that. Oh, my God. I feel like I could, like, recreate this monologue right now. Or you should, actually. I would rather not. But (laughs) it was, I guess, I was good enough to sign with my first agent. Sick. And... Funnily enough, fast forward, uh, blah, 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 number of years, uh, they were the agents that actually booked me on Love, Simon. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Not the actual agents, but the agency. Yeah. So it was sort of like, from then, I just knew that it, it was what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. But then, you know, I was living in Atlanta, and I was this little black boy, and there weren't that many. And, and also, I was like, probably, obviously gay. Yeah, I want to definitely go into talk to you about that because, yes. um, you know, if you Google your name, for instance, um, you find all these articles about you being an out actor, which I want to say thank you for mm-hmm. being that way because um, as I kind of preach a lot that um, being a visible queer actor or artist in general um, might feel like you're pigeonholing yourself or something. As yeah. I mean, I'm speaking from my own experience, but uh, it's actually so important, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure you've experienced this now, too, with your reach on social media and mm-hmm. stuff. 
of all the people that need that to yeah. survive or keep going or, you know? Yes. I mean, that's, I think that's probably the craziest part about the whole thing. I, uh, did not have, I never thought I would not be an out actor. You know, I just, the way I present, the way I exist in the world is very clearly, uh, stereotypically gay. Mm -hmm. And so I never really felt like I would have, have to come out. But I also thought that if I was vocal about it from the beginning, and especially with a comp within the conversation of Love, Simon, mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have to ever address it down the line because I never wanted to have to do the, like, I'm calling a press conference, you know? Right. Especially since I know that people obviously know I'm gay. And it's it's the kind of thing that people don't even question. They just assume. Mm -hmm. And, and um, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I think... Uh, I... It's funny, I have the, I remember the moment that I decided I was going to lean into uh, sort of like my feminine side. It was summer of my, mm, summer after my junior year of high school, I think. I had just officially come out to everyone. Um, I came out to my parents my freshman year of high school and I was sort of like trickling out to the other people. Mm -hmm. Um and I just remember thinking to myself, if I am clearly gay, if I am, because those conversations were painful. Like a lot of them were uncomfortable. And I remember feeling like I had to come out, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's exactly like in the movie when he's like, why do uh, only gay people have to come out? It's this burden that mm -hmm. a lot of us feel. And now that I'm an adult and people just assume that I'm gay, I never have to come out. Yeah. So I remember, I remember having this moment where I was like, if I, uh, if I present gay all the time, then I'll never have to come out to anyone ever again. I'll never have to go through this, like this painful four years. Cause I sort of dragged it out. Starting, I started coming out to people in sixth grade, seventh grade, mm -hmm. and I didn't fully come out to everyone or feel like I was fully out to the world until like junior high, uh, junior year of high school. Mm -hmm. So I had that moment where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stop. I'm going to be flamboyant. I'm going to be feminine. I'm going to, you know, dance on the tables I'm going to wear what I want to wear. You know, I'm going to speak how I want to speak. Mm -hmm. And no one will ever have to ask me if I'm gay again, and I won't have to go through it. Interesting. You know, I sometimes I, I think about when it comes to, like, casting. I have these conversations with people yeah. um, about visibly being gay. You yeah. know, there's one thing we can say, because I, I sometimes I don't like to equate the, the struggle of being a, a, an out actor to yeah. say being an Asian actor, you know, saying like, you're going to play an Asian role. You're going to cast an Asian person as an, for instance, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the, the argument that I get is that gay people aren't visibly gay, yeah. you know? And here you are sitting here telling me that you want to present mm -hmm. visibly gay. You want people to clock that when they, I guess, see you, yeah. which is really, um, interesting. And I think people should really respect this more because, I think that I feel the same way. You know, when someone assumes that I'm straight, I'm kind of like not okay with that. Yeah. It bothers me, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's my whole point is that I should be visibly gay and we shouldn't have to have that conversation. You yeah. know what I mean? Especially when it comes to casting. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about it. Like you're visibly gay. You should be getting those, those gay roles. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think sort of the the thing that I feel about that is that historically the reason why we've been so afraid of being visibly gay is because there haven't been gay roles. Like yeah. the the gay roles that have existed have been the Ethans, where it's like they're the gay sidekick and they're funny, and and they weren't even like Ethan. They didn't have the the depth or the color that uh, thankfully that Greg added, uh, or that that all of them, Isaac and Elizabeth and everyone sort of added. Uh, but I think. The other feeling that I have now, mm-hmm. down the line, I have no doubts in myself as an actor. I can hear all of the like, <laughs> the giggly, you know, queens as I'm saying this. Uh, I have no doubts in what I can do as an actor down the line if I want to play straight in the future. But what's more important to me right now, uh, I can always work with a coach, and I can always get we we can N- Nicole Kidman, you know, put right. a nose on my face, you know, what was that? Virginia Woolf, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like Charlize Theron in Monster. It's sure. like if we can believe she's ugly, then I, we can figure out a way to make you believe I'm straight. Okay. Uh. <laughs> um, so I'm not as worried about that, but I'm more worried about the fact that there aren't enough gay roles. And yeah. so this is sort of what I, I just had this realization as I was, as I was having these conversations with the press that everyone's always talking about pigeonholing gay gay actors and, uh, you know, what are you going to do down the line if, you know, all of a sudden you've only played gay roles? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well... Tom Cruise has only played these really aggressive, macho, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. action star role. It's like basically the same role in every movie, whether it's Mission Impossible or uh, Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. You know, it's like you can make a whole career out of playing these straight roles that are these sex symbols or whatever. And then going back thousands of years, all the way back to the Odyssey, you Mm -hmm. know, we've been hearing these stories about straight white men going through self-discovery, going through trials and tribulations. It's the same thing over and over and over and over again. And many of those stories are good. Um, but my question is less, why do we have those? And more, why don't we think about, about gay, male, gay male stories in the same way? Mm-hmm. Or uh, stories about people of color? You mm-hmm. know, There are just as many variations in the gay experience um, as there are in the, the experience of the straight white man. Yeah. So I'm less worried about, that's why I want to present So Visibly Gay, because I want you to see, like, we're not the same. There are significant differences between you and me, and between me and other gay black men, and between me and other gay men of color. And um, we can have thousands of stories about it. And then also, the other thing that I sort of, sort of came to is that we're still so focused on sexuality. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean like the actual sex component yeah. of it, that we don't think about the fact that, you know, a lot of my life, sure, I'm a man. So a lot of my life is thinking about sex for sure. I'm definitely mm-hmm. driven by that, um, that sort of like desire to procreate, I guess, is what it comes from. I don't yeah. know. But I, but then there's plenty of my life that has nothing to do. I have a job, you know, I have conversations at work that are not related to my sexuality. I have conversations with my mom, with my family, with my friends. You know, I'm sitting at a coffee shop reading a book. I'm not thinking I'm a gay black man right now. You know, I'm just existing (laughs) in the world. Yeah. And so I sort of think that we need to just open up the way that we talk about these stories that we're telling. I mean, amen. And I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the thing that, where that a lot of the people who are like telling us about it and telling, you know, the whole pigeonholing conversation, I'm sure you've had it with a lot of the press people too, that you were just saying. But like, I also think that the thing that we're ignoring is the fact that like, they're basically like, for instance, I once met with an agent Mm -hmm. and told them, and this was like maybe a couple years ago. And I said, you know, look, 
I am the gayest actor you will meet in Hollywood right now. I want to be, you find any gay roles that come across your desk, send me out for them, and I will book them this entitlement kind of crap I have. I just thought if I come in with that confidence and showing them, you know, I'm trained, blah, 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 and the agent looked back at me and went, love you, you're cute, this is great, but there's no market for you, there's no business that can be had here. I'm not going to make any money from you, basically. And I thought... Oh my God, like I was not prepared for that argument, you know? Yeah. And I, 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 I feel like we know that we're, we're accepting more now that there are gay actors and we're gay and they're more coming out and great. Mm-hmm. But they're not, they don't, we don't have dollar signs over our heads. Right. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think that that speaks to the fact that the culture has progressed beyond the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very slow moving ship. You know, it's not going to change overnight. And we have to keep in mind that there are plenty of people who are deeply invested in uh, the continuation of what we've been doing so far. You know, it's a lot of people lose money if we completely dismantle the way that the industry is built and the way we think about telling stories. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they're going to be hesitant to, uh, you know, sort of like to explore this new thing. I mean, I'm having these exact same conversations. There, Five years ago, I did a whole, the what Lena Dunham in her book, Not That Kind of Girl, calls mm. the couch and water bottle tour, you know, where yeah. you like go to every single agency, you meet with every single person. I had just done, I was on Glee at the time, uh, briefly in what ended up just being one episode, but was supposed to be this recurring role. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, I was just like you. I walked into every single room like, I'm about to be hot shit. You know, yeah. <laughs> I am on this show. You, ha- yeah. My episode hasn't even come out yet, and you don't even know what we got in the works, yeah. you know? Just like bullshitting all the way through, yeah. all around, uh, like up and down Avenue. What you got to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, every single person was like, there is no market for you. Yeah. And fast forward to now, again, you know, it's we're still having those same conversations with agents. Um, but what's really beautiful is that the all of the work that I've done since Love Simon, all of the op- the auditions that I've had, and um, sort of the projects that I've actually done have come from the artist side. You know, these people who uh, see that the industry is going to be the industry, but we are actually the ones who are creating the, yes. the art and the content. Yes, we do need people to sign off on things or to finance things or to give us the support, but the ideas are coming from us. And thankfully, we have so many things that we can point back to to show, actually, you know, there are plenty of examples of uh, you know, Black Panther, Get Out, Girls Trip. There, there was a whole conversation for right. decades about how uh, black films, I'm using air quotes, mm-hmm. don't cross over to um, mainstream audiences, you know? Mm-hmm. And we've proved that, we've disproved that time and time and time again. I think so, yeah. And even with Moonlight, you know, I was going around saying, uh, I, I was actually ill-informed, I was going around saying that uh, it wasn't a financial success, even though it was a an award success. But that's actually not true. It was, yeah. I think, it was made for two million dollars and ended up making like sixty. I believe that, or something like yeah. that. So, there are all these examples that sh- that disprove that um, that gay films don't cross over, don't make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, black films don't cross over, don't make money. Gay black films don't cross over, don't make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we're still having we're still having to struggle with those conversations, but I think at least we have a crack in the door that we can just sort of like push our way through right now. Right. Um, and the reality is they will go with the money, you know, agents and and 
casting director. Everyone wants to make money. Everyone wants to be successful. And so as long as we keep proving that it's possible, Mm -hmm. then I think we'll see that ship slowly start to turn. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I kind of want to hear your advice about something, you know, uh, it's so cool because you are in love, Simon, and, um, you've done so much about like talking about it and, and, and bringing it to a lot of queer people's, you know, minds and stuff. But, uh, there are a lot, there is a lot of pushback, I think in the community, the LGBT community to, support these kinds of movies, you know, and if they don't feel it's authentically queer, and I'm guilty of this too sometimes, you know, but I do think it's important that we do support it. For instance, you know what I mean? Like, if Love, Simon does very well, that means that more of that will will be created, you know, and it's so cool you're in that, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, like, I want to know, like, what you would say to someone, like, a progressive, yeah, queer person who has no interest in that but is like fighting for it you know what I mean I would say that I totally hear it and I totally understand it and I also am guilty of it as well you know I remember when Looking came out and sort of having this feeling of uh, you know watching it feeling like I had to uh, take my medicine to watch it because I wanted to support it but I knew it wasn't my story Mm -hmm. Um, and then also having to constantly tell people you know in my in private I was thinking to myself Excuse me, in private, I was thinking, oh, I wish there were more uh, gay characters of color, even though it is a diverse cast. Or I wish that um, the story was a little bit closer to something that I experienced or that it wasn't so sex-focused or whatever. Right. Thinking those things in private and then going out in public and evangelizing for it sure. and, and fighting back with people, even though I would agree with them a lot of the times, mm. saying, uh, you know, it's not your story, but it's a story. And that's sort of how I feel about Simon. I mean... Simon's experience and mine are similar. Mine is probably closer to Ethan's mm-hmm. than to Simon's. Um, but I also recognize that, you know, his experience is not everyone's experience. He is a upper middle class white kid from suburb, you know, uh, from a suburb, from Atlanta. Uh, to li- who are, He's living with parents who are liberal leaning. So the world is much more, for many reasons, much more accepting of him or a person like him than it is for a person like me, for instance. Um, but I think to those progressive people, especially those hyper progressive people, I would say the system is set up for us to, uh, fail. Mm -hmm. So there aren't enough because there's only one Love, Simon, since Love, Simon is the only gay teen rom-com to get a wide release that is backed by a studio that isn't an indie first and then bought by a studio like Fox is like, yep, we're making it. We're giving you all the money, $17 million budget. Um, billboards all over the all over the country, all over the world. Yeah. You know, um, that's never happened before. But the system is set up for that to be the only one, right. so that then we can say, well, if it if it's successful, maybe we'll make another. If it fails, we won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all this pressure that's put on this one film that's only ninety minutes mm. to represent the entire gay experience, right. and that is just there's no way that's ever going to work. No. But if this film isn't successful, if this film does not make the money back for Fox, Fox doesn't make another one. Right. There's there's no reason to for the I mean, we're looking at a system that's dying anyway, that's right. constantly fighting streaming, that's constantly fighting. Uh, and I think that's another piece is that I'm having these conversations with people who don't quite understand the inner machinations of the entertainment industry Absolutely. and how it's we're not like living large here, you know? Yeah. Like we are really on rocky ground trying right. to figure out what streaming is going to mean and what sort of like 
new media and the digital landscape, how that's going to affect this century old model of filmmaking and, and young models. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very young. So, so I think, you know, if you can take your medicine and send the 15 bucks, if you have it to iTunes, (laughs) you know, like just knowing that it's, it it really does help. It really does pay off down the line. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that I hear you. I also have those same, those same qualms with it. Um, and I think we all do. I think everyone will say it's not perfect. It can't represent everyone's experience. Right. Um, but I don't think that, I don't think that we should try to make it represent everyone's experience. We should make it successful so that we can have 10 new movies that have, that are all about different types of experiences. That's how I feel about it. Um, but with all that said, Love, Simon, I did leave that movie in a positive, feeling positive and, and happy and, um, so, you know, y'all like go watch it. It's if yes, you haven't please. seen it, um, I'm, <clears throat> I definitely want to talk more about love Simon, but I want to know more about you. Um, so do you, I'm hoping that you, you do are, I'm sure you are like creating stuff on your own yeah. because I, you, you, you should, so like there's stuff in the works, right? There, I, yeah. I would say we're, we're very early stages and uh-huh. like, um, uh, but that that's, what's been really cool about it too, is that the whole industry, all these people have been coming up to me and recognizing that, uh, just in the exactly what you were just saying about, uh, we were talking about how Love, Simon doesn't represent everyone's story. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to tell new stories, we have to get new voices in the room. Right. Um, and so what has been happening for me is that I've just been sort of finding people who have a little bit more access than I, who may be more successful or, um, or are white, you know, whatever it is. They just have the access that I don't have. Uh, they sort of like are able to get through the door mm-hmm. and then leave it open for me to pull me in with them and then... I can write my own story. I can tell a version of my story or a version of a story uh, for people who sort of look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm sort of exploring now. I have, I have a couple of things that I'm developing. Oh, good. Yeah, that are potentially moving in a very real direction, which is both uh, exciting and hard to comprehend, you know? It sort of feels like my life in many ways changed uh, all of a sudden I went from being on the sidelines to actually being in the game. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm just sort of like sprinting as hard as I can. Good for you. I mean, I, just look talking to you while I'm looking at you. Um, I'm just, I'm curious of the, the stories you, you want to tell and you're going to yeah. tell because, um, I don't want to tell them for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's yes. a, there's a, there, that's a kind of a, an issue in the industry mm-hmm. that we, um, are the wrong people are facilitating yeah. these stories, you know, mm-hmm. and it bothers me. Yes. Cause it leaves out that authenticity. Mm-hmm. I don't know the, all those, those words that I'm using yeah. are, are, are the things that I'm grateful for, yeah. you know, that are happening, but I want to know like, what's your, what, I don't want you to tell me your ideas though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I want to know your, your, what's you're missing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think just sort of, uh, there's a couple of things. The first is, uh, I have a lot more in common with, um, with people than I think they realize, you know, like 
I grew up in predominantly straight, obviously, predominantly white environments. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of my experiences, a lot of the ways in which I exist in the world where my mindset is very similar to um, some others, even though they would think I'm the complete opposite of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's some of that, the like, I'm just like you, sort of uh, along the same lines of what Simon said, the very first line of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of the reason why I want to do, I want to go down that route is... um, because I think the quote normalization of other is important to yes. uh, acceptance. You know, yeah. like uh, that. I remember when we went when we changed from talking about tolerance to acceptance. You know, I think it's really important that we're not just like tolerating each other, just like you know taking our medicine to sit next to each other. I think it's important that we're understanding that life is different for us. You know, mm-hmm. like we I exist in the world in a very different way, even though. I went to Dartmouth and I am, you know, well educated. I come from an upper middle class family as well. Um, But even still, there are places to which I don't have access or uh, whenever, you know, I don't have as smooth of a relationship with the police as some other, or as as irreverent a relationship, I should say, Mm -hmm. as some of my, you know, young white friends do. Um, So I want to tell those stories. Uh, I want to tell also like, I'm obsessed with Wes Anderson, you know? Okay. And I have all these... You kind of look like him. Do I? Yeah, you give me like a Wes Anderson vibe. A Wes vibe? Yeah. Uh, I am nowhere near as smart as he, but I would love to sort of... I want to do some hyper-stylized stuff as well. Yeah, and like fairy tale storytelling, magical realism, exploring that stuff as well. Um, but ultimately when I think about my career, I want to have, I think about longevity, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm looking at the things that I'm interested in telling now, the high school stories that I want to tell while I still can, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and my, preserving my skin as much <laughs> as I can. Yeah. I um, you. and then sort of, uh, but also um, imagining my 20, 30, 40 year long career that I want ahead of me. Um, and sort of. So my my primary focus right now, though, is just to break down that door so that a f- large flood of stories can be told. Because then I want to get to a place where I can turn around and then, you know, create avenues for other people to tell their stories. Mm. I got a good feeling about you. Mm. I think you're going to do all that. <laughs> I like have a feeling. Not that I'm psychic, even though, you know, I'm like one of those people who's like, when you're in a crowded room and you like people, some, you're getting picked on, you know, mm-hmm. I always know I'm going to get picked and they pick me. Yeah. So <laughs> ju- just saying that I, well, I hey, have a feeling about good. you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, so you were talking about normalization and I think that that's a really great word for it yeah. because, um, I know there is a, a frustration with the amount of, uh, time we give to gay sex yeah. being part of the conversation, mm-hmm. But I do think that there's, um, that is a valid thing that's being put in front of us because that is not normalized. Yes. And um, I think it's the thing that's standing and staring everyone in the face. It does bother us because we're gay. We know mm-hmm. that it's not just about fucking. Yes. But to everyone else, you know, I think that that's mm-hmm. what they see first or yeah. they, they're thinking. And I don't know how to normalize that in yeah. like a G-rated way, you yeah. know, without... Yeah putting it in someone's face, you know? Yes. Um, There's this movie, I guess it's controversial now that he's kind of uh, a hashtag me too, Mm -hmm. James Franco's interior leather bar. Have you Mm -hmm. seen that movie? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a weird one, but 
in it, he has this, he's recreating that movie Cruising, mm. the Al Pacino movie that was like bad in the day because it like is, makes gay people look bad. Anyways, <laughs> it's this whole study, but there's this part of the movie where it's kind of like a documentary slash like not documentary. And there's these gay people having sex and they're showing that in the, in the film and the whole crew is standing around and they cast this straight guy to play the Al Pacino role. Yeah. And he's standing there watching the gay sex scene happen. They're, they're full on fucking. It's mm. a, it's a porn basically. Mm. And, and James Franco's just like standing there grinning, like holding his fucking face, like staring at them. And the Al Pacino guy's like looking around being all fucking nervous. And then they go outside for a cigarette, James Franco and the guy playing the Al Pacino role. And, the guy playing the Al Pacino role is like, dude, what is that? Like, they're just fucking in there. And James Franco is like, um, does that make you uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Are you uncomfortable? Does that, is that like weird to you? And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird, man. Like, they're just, you know, I'm not gay. And it's like, what are we doing here, you know? Yeah. And James Franco's like, well, would it be different if it was a guy and a girl? And the guy was like, uh, yeah, it would be. I guess it would be definitely different. And James Franco's like, well, that's the point of this movie. That's why I'm doing this is because I want there to be no difference. And that really stuck with me because I thought this guy is actively, I mean, he's got weird ways of going about everything, but that is a very cool way of normalizing it. And I wonder if there's more ways of doing it in that way or just flat out saying it without tricking people into it. You know what I mean? I mean, that's so complicated because our relationship with sex as a culture is historically puritanical, right? Like we are more, uh, cover it up. Yes. Yes. And, and we always have been, you know, the, um, the way going back to the founding of the country, sort of like the people who came over from England. And I think, History degree, y'all. <laughs> Sorry, so I think that's, we're sort of doing an, working against an uphill battle already. You know, like I, I, every time you go to Europe or every time you're sort of like abroad um, in a place that has a much different relationship with sex, you realize like you turn on the TV and I, I'll never forget the first time I saw a penis <clears throat> on cable television. It was in Spain mm-hmm. and uh, it was my, we were at, it was in my homestay. And it was some like reality TV show, sort of like a, you know, like a a Maury or like a (laughs) Jerry Springer or something. In Spain. Yeah, in Spain. It was wild. Um, And I was watching it with this, uh, with my homestay mother, who was older, probably like in her 50, similar age to my mother Mm -hmm. at the time. And this guy like pulled down his pants and his penis was on the screen. (laughs) And it wasn't pixelated. It wasn't blurred. And I looked over at her like, oh my God, like what? <laughs> and she was completely unfazed. Really? Yeah, completely unfazed. And I, so I think that's part of it is that we are just really repressed yeah. um, sexually, emotionally. Um, but then I think also, uh, and, and this is something I'm sort of learning from, from our trans uh, brothers and sisters and those who are gender non-conforming and non-binary uh, there's this really fantastic trans performance artist named Alok, mm-hmm. who uh, Alok Vide Menon on Instagram, uh, Alok V Menon on Instagram, and uh, they sort of were in. It's like poet. They do poetry and spoken word, and they were basically talking about how so much of the visceral pain and uh, anguish that they experience, and all of the hatred and vitriol that's thrown at them. Uh, it's not about them at all. It's always about the person who is 
who is, you know, throwing those epithets. Right. It's the, it's, what does it say about me if I see you, a gay person or a trans person, um, like, what are these people going to think about me? Mm. Um, and they have this line in, in one of their poems that I love, which is, uh, what feminine part of yourself did you have to kill in order to be, uh, oh, I don't want to get it wrong, in order to be accepted or so- something like that? I get what you're saying. Though. Sort of this idea that like you have to kill off parts of yourself in order to exist in the world uh, and, and, quote, be normal. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is why there's all this weirdness around sexuality and especially homosexuality and for straight men. It's like, Mm -hmm. what does it say about me that I'm in this room and I'm watching these two men having sex? Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't say anything about me if I'm watching a a man and a woman having sex because that's normal. It's butt stuff. Mm -hmm. I know, exactly. So I don't know why. I mean, I, I don't know how to fix that necessarily. Um, I remember having a conversation with my mom growing up, uh, when Brokeback Mountain came out Mm -hmm. because we were sort of going through, I had come out already and I wanted her to fully accept me. And I now have come to understand that so much of her existed, trying to come to, not to come to terms with it, but trying to be a good parent to me. What as a gay son was also trying to literally just keep me alive. You know, people gay, people are gay bashed constantly and, and people, uh, you know, in Atlanta were getting killed regularly. So Brokeback Mountain came out and I wanted to go see it and she was refused to take me. Really? Yeah, she well, refused. Well, at the time I was like, you're so homophobic. I was like, <laughs> dramatic. Like, I can't believe you don't exist. It's an Ang Lee movie, mom. Yeah. And she was like, no, I, don't, I would not take you to see any movie where they're having explicit sex, uh, whether it's two men, two women, a man and a woman. And that's when I was like, oh, we just, as a culture, there's a lot that we're going to have to deal with mm. before we can even normalize gay sex, straight sex, tra- whatever. You know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of shit to work through. Right. Um, it's a lot to unpack there, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, when you came out to your parents, was it, what, was it a struggle? I think it was for me, yeah. For them, um, they... My mom has known gay people her, her, her whole life, which I have come to understand. Mm-hmm. I think also they were sort of of the generation where uh, sexuality is something that we can understand, but we don't really talk about. You know, that's sort of like that repressed thing that I'm, that I'm mentioning. Um, they sort of had this mindset of like, what you do behind closed doors is your own business, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and that's exactly the, the point that I... That's why I've gone the direction that I've gone with the art that I want to make is sex is a part of it, but there is so much more to being gay and there's a cultural experience, uh, a cultural identity to it uh, that they now understand. But at the time they didn't, they thought it was, you know, we're all just people and gay people are people who like to have sex with people who are of the same, uh, of the same gender. Mm -hmm. But they're also like, she used to say to me, I'm not going around telling people who I'm having sex with. Yeah, like, I get it. Right. But I also said to them, I was like, actually, you are, though, because you're, show- you're, you're proud of me. You're like, this is my son. This right. is my daughter. Right. Like, how did you make me, Mom? You had to have sex for me to be here. So it's not that you're not talking about who you're having sex with. It's that you've just accepted yeah. that sex between you and a man is normal. And so we don't, you don't even think that you're talking you've about like it. You've, like, worked it out and put it over there. Exactly. And you're good with it. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
So I don't know. I mean, uh, what was the question? <laughs> Just come. I'm like coming out to your parents. Right. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So they were super supportive, and um, but I think for me, it was all about. It was the same thing that Simon had. You know, what I love so much about this movie is that the whole, all of the drama and all of the like shenanigans that take place would. none of them would happen if Simon was just okay with himself. Mm -hmm. You know, like even the bully, even the guy who, I mean, Ethan has his own bullies, but even the guy, Martin, Mm -hmm. who is uh, blackmailing him throughout the film, he is, uh, he even says like, my brother's gay. Mm -hmm. You know, he has no problem. He's like, want to sleep over? You know, like it's so clear that the guy who's blackmailing Simon is totally fine with Simon being gay. All of his friends are fine with it. His family's fine with it. Everyone is fine with it except for him. Right. If he in that moment was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Tell whoever you want to tell. I'm gay. I don't give a shit. Then the whole movie ends there because right. then it's like, you know, he's not going to tell the world that he's gay. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't. So anyway, I, I think what I, what I realized from the movie and also from my experience was that most of the angst that I felt was self perpetuated mm-hmm. and, uh, and that my parents did love me. And they continue to love me. Um, and I think they now love me more. And after I came out, I think they loved me more because then they realized, oh, now you're sharing your full self with us as opposed to hiding aspects of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about your performance in the movie mm-hmm. because every time I felt like you were, see- you were in a scene, you had a certain calmness mm-hmm. that kind of... And you could even feel it from the guy who was playing Simon that mm-hmm. when he was just interacting with you... and. and I, I don't, I mean, I've only seen it once, but I'm thinking, you know, is your character placed as someone who is supposed to be that kind of like grandmother willow tree of Love, Simon? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think uh, in ways, yeah. I mean, I've had, I've actually had quite a few conversations with Greg. We, we chat, Greg Berlanti, we chatted at, during the shoot. He was mm. sort of like giving me an idea of where we were trying to get to and what he was envisioning. And then I've heard the way he's talked about my character um, in interviews. And then we've had some conversations. I'm curious. Yeah. So basically he, he, he says that um, the reason he wanted Ethan and that he, the reason Ethan is such an important character to the film in his opinion is that uh, he represents um, uh, if Greg is Simon, then I'm the, the person that Greg was looking up to, throughout his college experience. You know, he talked about, he, he's talked to me about being uh, closeted in the 90s in college mm-hmm. um, and sort of, but also being, uh, he was in a fraternity, but he was also a theater major, you know, okay. or like doing theater classes. So on, on the one hand, he was living in this world that was hyper-masculine and sexualized, but in a heterosexual way. And on the other hand, he was in, you know, the gayest, you know, with all the gay people. And, and he said he used to see these people who were so clearly comfortable with themselves amidst the AIDS crisis, amidst right. just like uh, amidst don't ask, don't tell, mm-hmm. amidst a, a culture that was not accepting of homosexuality in general. Uh, and he was like, wow, how can these people be so comfortably themselves? Um, and so I think that, I mean, calm is definitely not a word that I've ever used to describe myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm glad that you picked, I'm, I'm glad that that showed. Like, Because uh, I was like grounded. screaming. Oh, good. I mean, I'm it, glad. It just felt like you were like, you know, you had it, you know. Good. 
know if that <laughs> that just might be my interpretation. That's you know? acting, I guess. Because <laughs> I was on set like, <gasps> like yeah. oh, I'm in a movie, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, but I wanted to make sure that he, because because that's how I experience my queerness mm-hmm. is uh, just like I was saying when I wake up in the morning, uh, I don't fit. And I'm saying this because I know as I walk down the street, people look at me and they're like, whoa, gay and black. That's the first thing that comes to their mind. When I wake up in the morning, it's not like I'm like, I'm gay and I'm black. <laughs> and it's Friday and it's Saturday and it's Sunday. You know, I like, I wake up and it's I'm hilarious. like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it's a thing that I like, even I look in the mirror, I exist in the world. I don't even really think about it. I just am. Yeah. And I wanted to show uh, as much as I could, you know, uh, that while Simon is fixated on it and while everyone else around Ethan is fixated on it, Ethan is just being himself. Ethan Mm -hmm. is just existing in the world. And that meant today that he threw a scarf around his neck and is carrying his bag in the, uh, the crook of his arm rather than a backpack, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to sort of bring the comfort that I have with myself now as a fully realized or semi-realized adult gay male mm-hmm. uh, to this high schooler uh, to sort of provide that contrast. I really think you accomplished that. Thank Congrats. you. Mm, thank you. Well, it was really Greg. I mean, he, he again, is the one who put this whole structure together and placed us in that, in that contrast. So I was really just following his lead. Cool. That's good to hear. Um, I'm curious. Almost, we're almost done, hon, I swear. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm glad that you're putting up with me. I can I can no. talk about myself forever. I'm a clinical narcissist. Okay, please. Like I'm digging it. I want to know about what your biggest challenges have been yeah. um, as an artist. Mm. Um, I mm, I would say money. I mean, like trying to convince someone that I'm worth giving me the money. Mm. It's been it, historically, you know. There's this whole idea. I was listening. I would listen to these podcasts and all these uh, self um, self made artists and creators, writers, directors, whatever. And they would all be like, "If people aren't hiring you, if no one's buying what you're what you're selling, make it on your own." Absolutely. You know. And then I would go to make it on my own, and then I'd be like, "Okay, well." I need some money. I need something, you know? Yeah. Um, or I would come up with a script and I would give it to someone and they'd be like, mm, I don't understand why this, this character has to be gay. Oh no, fuck that. Yeah. It would be a lot of that. And I would get, I, I, I was producing a film, a feature film that I wrote and, um, I got all the way to the end. I was going to get, uh, like some amount of money, let's say a million. I don't even remember what it was. It was like three or four years ago with this investor and, uh, it was like ready to go. We were ready to sign the pages. I mean, sign the sign the contracts. And he said, "I wonder if your character, like from for me, I wonder if your character at the end could realize that he's actually in love with his female roommate." Ew. And I was, and it was a straight older male investor, you know, older white straight male investor, and. I don't think he meant any harm by it. And, and also, like, he had come with me all the way through the journey to that point. So, obviously, he wasn't intentionally trying to be homophobic, but he didn't even realize, like, how deeply seated his homophobia was or right. the fact that he couldn't quite grasp that my experience would be different, you know, than, right. than his. And furthermore, he didn't think anyone would want to buy it or want to watch a story about a gay, uh, a gay male protagonist. So... I would say that's been the the hardest part. Um, 
it's just feeling like I have to convince people that I am of value, that I'm worth, you know, having a movie. Yeah. Um, I just want to, I don't know who the hell listens to this thing, but <laughs> I, I just want to say that one of the, one of the, cause I'm trying to figure this out too, of course, like yeah. how we can do the things we're creating and we want to create. Yeah. And I mean, stories that you want to tell are, are super important to tell right now too. Mm-hmm. Um, how we just need to have people say, here's all my money and I want you to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? This yeah. is for you to figure out. Mm-hmm. Not my white, um, you know, internalized homophobic yeah. uh, bullshit. Yeah. And I also don't actually need my name on it as well. Yeah. I'd rather just you do it yes. so you can do it. And hey, you know, maybe scratch my back if you get anything out of this. Right. But right. Uh, I... I I think that that's a good way for us to, because there's this big question of inclusion and and creating diverse projects, and mm-hmm. I, and part of it sounds so racist and homophobic mm-hmm. to me. I'm kind of just like, well, that's you know, like uh, Pose by Ryan Murphy. I I, I love the show. I'm like yeah. obsessed with it. But part of me is like, oh, you know, like yeah. I uh, you know, and I want to create stuff. I I. I'm like rambling, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, but I think, and, and I wanted to die, sort of like dig into the pose thing too, because, uh, so my friend Steven is the creator of it. He's the one who wrote the pilot for it. And what I love about what Ryan is doing is the reality is Steven, he's so talented and he's so amazing, but he's not Ryan. Mm-hmm. You know, Ryan has access for many reasons, uh, that Steven doesn't have or didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of Ryan saying, I'm going to make this, I'm writing it myself. It's going to be about the like trans and ball culture of people of color, but I'm going to write it all myself. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, he said, what I'm going to bring to this table is my white privilege. Okay, cool. And that is what I'm going to contribute. I'm going to open doors for you. I'm going to give you money. And what you're going to bring to the table is the authenticity. Yeah. You're going to bring your story. We're going to give you the money to do it. We're going to give you the platform to do it. Um, and that's how Pose, you know, and Greg does the exact same thing. He has this empire. I think it's like 15 shows or something like that. Um, you know, he deputizes people like Mara Brock Akil, mm-hmm. the executive producer, showrunner of Black Lightning, mm-hmm. which he's still the executive producer of, but it's her show, yeah. uh, by saying, you know, I'm not going to be the one to this gay white man, I'm not going to be the one to tell the story about a black superhero family right. um, in this in this universe. But what I can do, again, is use my white privilege, use the privilege that I've gained from uh, years and years of this bus- being in this business successfully, and I'm going to create pathways for people who don't have those same privileges or don't have that same access to tell those stories uh on the same scale. And that is the way it's going to happen. I think every, if you look back at every civil rights movement that's been um, successful, it has not happened exclusively within that community. It has required the partnership with allies who have the access, who have the privilege, who aren't of that community, but are able to then bring those people to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what it's going to take. We need, and that is why I'm so adamantly in favor of things like even if you don't like the movie please give us your money because we have to work within this system while we have it we can 
we can dismantle it piece by piece once we're in there, but we have to realize that the machine, the Hollywood machine is bigger than any one person and we need as much help and collaboration and access as we can get in order to really be able to affect change at scale. Yeah, I mean, I'm really happy to hear you say that. Mm. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that about Pose because mm. you watch it and you're just like, this is so fucking good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. And it's kind of, it, it inspires me what you just said. Oh, um, good. And I hope that, I don't know, you, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, okay, so at the end of my podcast, I mm-hmm. do my little like James Lipton y kind of uh, questionnaire. I love it. Um, all right, so to finish it off, don't think too hard about these. Um, <laughs> free your mind. <clears throat> all right. Clark Moore, what is your favorite word? Oh, God. Um, love. Love. Love that. Uh, least favorite word? Um, no. That was actually my first word, mm. by the way. I think that speaks a lot about me. <laughs> um, what inspires you most? Um... Uh, I would say the, the kids who've been reaching out to me saying that they are saying that they feel comfortable to come out or, or even if they don't feel comfortable coming out yet, that they feel comfortable with themselves, you know, living in the rural South or the Rust Belt or whatever because of the movie Mm -hmm. and that they, um, and sort of like the, all of the energy coming from that next generation for advocacy and change, that's that's what inspires me. Cool. What's your favorite emotion? Uh, mm, that feeling when I don't know if it's an emotion, but it's that that feeling right before you fall asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, where you've like you've relaxed away like from the day. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's that moment right before. The last moment you remember, you know, when you wake up the next morning, you don't remember actually falling asleep, but you remember that feeling of like, oh, I'm about to. That's my favorite. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's I, a good, I haven't heard that one yet. That's good. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. We should look that up. I'll get back to the podcast on that one. Um, <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Oh, um, uh, money. Honestly. Fuck it. <laughs> like money. What turns you off? Um, anyone who takes themselves too seriously, uh, to be vulnerable. If you could have dinner with any artist, living or dead, who would it be? Ooh, um, I guess I probably would say Frida Kahlo. Cool. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Or James Baldwin. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, You should act. I was trying to, I was looking at you thinking, like, what movie, like, what biopic can you do? Like, would you do? That's a perfect one for you. I would love that. Oh, my God. You should really develop that, hon. I'm not even kidding. I would love that. Oh, my God. That'd be so good. You'd be perfect in that. In my my vanity vehicle. (laughs) I love that idea. Um, Okay, now I'm freaking out. Um, What do you want to be remembered for? Um, I want to be remembered for making people feel good. What is your favorite part about being queer? Ooh, that I don't have to, uh, that I get to be myself. I feel like the, I feel like so many people are just trapped in 
trying to be who other people want them to be. And being queer, I feel like I got to let go of all of that bullshit of like, am I masculine enough? Am I too feminine? I just, I just get to be me and just get to be free. And what is queer? It's all of us. I mean, I think that's what's, that's why I love that word so much. And that's why I love that we're reclaim we have reclaimed it. Queer is everyone. I think even straight people are queer, you know, like, it's anyone who realizes that there's an aspect of them that's a little bit different and that and with regards to their sexuality that they uh, aren't beholden to any one identity. Like, you are just you. We all just are who we are. Um, and I think, I, ho- I hope that we can all move away from the binaries of straight and gay and just all be queer together. Mm-hmm. Well, Clark... Um it's Pride Month, and I couldn't have thought had anyone better to talk to than you. Um, I'm really inspired by just your grace and you. your intelligence, and I, my all my like that's so Raven psychic <laughs> energy right now is is saying good things about you, and um, I hope that you can keep creating stuff for yourself because I want to know what you got to say. You You know what I mean? So thank you so much for doing this with me. Thanks for having me. You're amazing. And I hope everyone goes and watches Love, Simon right now. If you haven't, even if you're a straight person listening to this, which is dope. Thank you for listening. Um, (laughs) But hey, uh, yeah, check it out. Um, It's a feel-good movie. Yeah. Give it to your dad for Father's Day. Give it to your dad for Father's Day. I love that idea. Okay. Enough of that. Happy Pride, Clark. Happy Pride. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, Clark, I love you. I loved working on this episode, listening back to you, and I hope everyone listening enjoyed it as well. Please go follow Clark Moore at Mr. Clark Moore on Instagram. He has great content, um, beautiful photos. He's he's a tastemaker, let's just say. You can also follow Queer and Art at Queer and Art on Instagram. That's Q-U-E-E-R-A-N-D-A-R-T. Or if you have any questions, suggestions, thoughts, anything at all, don't be scared to DM me, let me know. Or you can email me at queerandart at gmail.com. You can also find moi, Frankie Craft, at Frankie Craft on Instagram, Facebook, same with the Queer and Art podcast. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. If you like this podcast, if this is something you dig, if this is your vibe, please comment, subscribe on iTunes, rate us, comment on the podcast. I would love to hear what you have to say. I appreciate it so much. Theme music by Joey Polari. This podcast is brought to you by Sammy Girl Productions. On that note, happy pride. Take care of yourselves. Bye.